2: Hello, it's Stephen from the Bloomberg UK politics team. Today, we thought we'd bring you an episode from another great Bloomberg podcast, In the City. They've been at the COP27 climate talks in Egypt this week, where Francine Lacroix has been chewing over the UK's green credentials, with Allegra Stratton, who's the author of Bloomberg's Readout newsletter, and was the UK government's spokesperson for COP26 last year, as well as senior climate reporter Akshat Rathi. It's a fascinating conversation on a hugely important political issue. Hope you enjoy it. We'll be back with more UK politics on Monday. Central to all our efforts is honouring our promises on climate finance. I know that for many, finances are tough right now. The pandemic all but broke the global economy. And before coming here today, I spent last week working on the difficult decisions needed to ensure confidence and economic stability in my own country. But I can tell you today that the United Kingdom is delivering on our commitment of 11.6 billion pounds. And as part of this, we will now triple our funding on adaptation to 1.5 billion pounds by 2025.
3: Rishi Sunak once again promising to stick to delivering billions of pounds to tackle climate change. He was speaking at the COP27 conference here in Egypt on Monday. Of course, it was not long ago that the prime minister was not planning on attending the annual summit at all. I'm Francine Lachwan This is In the City, In the Desert, to Bloomberg's podcast connecting you to the stories and the voices at the heart of the City of London. This week, I'm in Sharm el-Sheikh for the COP27 Summit, considering the question, how committed to the green agenda is Rishi Sunak? And how concerned is the city with where he stands? With me, Bloomberg contributing editor and author of the Readout newsletter, which you have to read because it's always very funny, Allegra Stratton. <laughs> Allegra was also... The UK's government spokesperson for COP twenty six in November twenty twenty one, and is a co founder of Zeroism, a net zero consultancy, and Bloomberg Green senior reporter and host of Bloomberg podcast Zero, Akshat Rati. Thank you both for joining me. Thanks for having us. We're just starting. We're like what day three, and we're surviving, right? The the I'm UK. I feel bad to.
2: <laughs> yeah, that. same.
4: Um, but you know, it's supposed to be two weeks, and uh, we we've got to pace ourselves.
3: We do. We do have to pace ourselves. Rishi Sunak rebuilding the green agenda. Is he here? There was a U-turn. He wasn't going to show up. Now he showed up. He he pledged some things and saying morally he can't back down.
2: Yeah, I think that the language of the prime the new prime minister yesterday in his speech to COP twenty seven was very very similar to language that Boris Johnson used a year ago. There wasn't there wasn't really very much difference. Yes, he wasn't coming, then he was coming, which I think, I'm told, explains why he had quite a late slot. (laughs) My sense is that he got into office and he was focused on the autumn statement, which is, what is it now, 10 days away and um he felt that he had to give that his all uh and then you know there was a backlash um the uk is the president of cop 26 it's actually not anymore but it it was at that point and it it was until the first day of cop 27 um and it is right and fitting that the prime minister found time to come
3: like i mean it was pretty awkward right it's monday the prime minister new limited uk prime minister shows up and you have boris johnson that actually speaks ahead of him I, you know, awkward. <laughs> um, different.
2: Um, look, for countries around the world that were wondering about the UK's commitment, you can make the case having double <laughs> Prime Minister, former Prime Minister and current Prime Minister that started COP26 and the Prime Minister that ends it is a good thing. You certainly can't doubt UK um, dedication and intellectual commitment to the issue on numbers alone. Um, I think, actually, oddly for me, uh, I worked for both men, but I I worked for Boris Johnson at COP26. I thought that the former PM was a bit gloomier. It's incredible to think how much has changed since that last COP, and to be frank, how much damage has been done in just one year to our great common purpose of tackling man-made climate change. I mean, people said it was boosterism, but I thought it was not Boris boosterism. He was saying the spirit of Glasgow is in danger of, of uh, did he say dying or some something similarly um, uh, catastrophic? I don't think you can say that yet. I mean, Akshat uh, and, and yourself will have uh, will have views on this, but I think that actually the, the main theme so far of this COP has been we had some good commitments twelve months ago. Let's push them forward.
3: I mean, I love what you wrote, Akshat, which is show me the money. So it's seen maybe as a bit crass, but actually it's not because we're here to talk about financing and Absolutely. that's how you get stuff done.
4: Absolutely. And yes, there were new commitments that were made by Rishi Sunak specifically on protection of forests. And there was sums attached to it, 90 million and 65 million pounds. But the total amount that the UK is committing to climate finance over the next five years hasn't changed. That's $11.6 This new money for protection of forests is just coming from the same pot. And And you were expecting more? At this time, when the UK government is going into a mini-budget where it has to find ways to cut as much of its spending as possible, the fact that they haven't cut climate is a positive sign. But we are here at COP where the entire demand from developing countries is, you made promises that you haven't been able to meet yet. So yes, it's a difficult time for developed countries and for developing countries, but have to show more money.
2: I think actually that's right. I mean, what I think is coming across loud and clear from this COP is that the magnitude of the money needed by the developing world is just in another galaxy to what's on the table at the moment. And, you know, you just talked then about millions, you know, it's not enough. Billions isn't enough. And I think that that's one of the political crunches of the next five to 10 years is the rich world, the richer world, figuring out what the mechanism is going to be, because at the moment, the sums that the developing world is talking about needing, they're just,
4: it's not, it's not on the table at the moment. And you have to flip this around because the framework isn't to say, we're just going to keep needing more and more and more money. In fact, if you do put more money now, you will need less money in the future. Yes, that feels like a really good thing to pull off at a time where everybody's worried about a crisis, but it just fundamentally is true.
3: But we're not worried about a crisis, we're living through a crisis, right? If you look at the last 12 months, and I think Boris Johnson made this point, we can't really afford, his words, not mine, as a UK, to give more.
2: As Arkshat says, you've got uh, the autumn statement in 10 days, maybe less, I've lost track. And I think it is a good thing that 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 climate, international climate finance, 11.6 billion, uh, it continues to be ring fenced at a time when lots of hard choices will have been made in the Treasury right now as we speak. So it is a good thing. But it's still the magnitude is is, is not near to what they to, to what developing nations will need. And this debate about loss and damage, which Boris Johnson addressed head on, the best way to fix this is not to look backwards and to try to tot up some bill for loss and damage that uh, the UK or other countries have done, but try to, try to look at what the UK can do to help uh, to take countries forward and to give them the, the, help them to achieve the carbon reductions and the green technology that they, that they need. He was uncomfortable about it at COP26 because he thinks that there will be a limit to, to what will be possible I think, therefore, in that context, what is increasingly interesting are the different mechanisms. The the highest profile person to push them is obviously um, Mia Motley talking about a couple of options. One is uh, windfall tax on oil and gas. Another is special drawing rights at the IMF. There will be a spectrum of these ideas that will come out in the next few years.
3: So is it too soon to know and to say whether the, the UK's climate crown is slipping?
4: Let's start with the basic fact that UK has cut the most emissions among G7 countries since 1990. That did put UK in a leadership position going into COP26. And there were some lucky circumstances that made it happen. There were some serious policies that made it happen. And the UK did lead on creating a law, the Climate Change Act, which has been copied by countries. But it is also accurate that that crown is certainly slipping this year the amount of renewable investment going into the UK has fallen 90 percent. And that's at the same time when Boris Johnson committed to a higher renewables target into 2030, committed to reaching net zero on the electric grid by 2035, committed to uh, electrifying uh, transport, which will consume more electricity. Um, And so the signs aren't good. The Climate Change Committee has said that UK's next carbon budgets, which are coming up, Starting 2023, the UK is not on track, and so that crown is certainly slipping. And Rishi Sunak, if he stays in office longer than his predecessor did, will certainly will have to deal with it. I
3: mean, that was what forty days. Yeah. So
2: let's already, assume that already he is coming
3: up. Yeah, is that he was last fifteen days.
2: <laughs> um, but what's also interesting, the um, guidelines on disclosures for firms and their climate risk. And that was something that Rishi Sunak as Chancellor at COP26 last year um, did. And that would be the first country to bring in those kind of rules. And I think that they're publishing at the moment a consultation and then in the spring, we'll get some detail. So, look, I mean, Akshat is very knowledgeable about This and I I read his stuff and I love his stuff, so I defer. But I also think that in many ways, the plumbing and the piping on the mechanisms that are going to lower our carbon emissions over the next ten years are just being hammered out. Um, Particularly the the disclosure piece that Rishi launched last year, Um, that will make companies have to say, right, this is where our risk is, this is where our exposure to climate is, and therefore this is how we're going to change how we're invested or whatever. So I think we are, all of us, you know, sort of watching as these things evolve
3: and develop. So actually, how do private and, and public actually work together?
4: Well, the clearest way is really net zero, right? Um, until 2018, we did not have net zero by 2050 as a target. Then countries started adopting it. As soon as countries started adopting it, corporations started adopting it. And when corporations adopt it and they're held to account by journalists and by their shareholders, then they have to put in the money to make that happen. And so that's the very clear line through point that you can see where the transition has begun. But we are going to have to do a lot more to enable public sector money to help the private sector move along. So there's a lot of conversation happening around blended finance. This is a term where developing countries which are struggling with a strong dollar, struggling with debt payments, uh, but are also the places where renewable energy is the cheapest do not have the financial capacity to build them. So you bring in blended finance. You bring in money from governments and philanthropies that take some of the risk away and allow private players to provide most of that capital for those projects.
1: You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time.
5: Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com.
2: Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.
0: You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through.
1: Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time.
5: Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Start your journey at steeple.com That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com.
2: Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.
5: You
0: know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through.
3: What does this all mean for the City of London? So we had a conversation with Mark Carney and I was saying, is, is, you know, the City of London still the green, one of the green finance the capitals of the world? And he said,
5: of course it is. London's been out ahead. And, you know, the, the then chancellor, now prime minister, Rishi Sunak, said a year ago, uh, we're going to make London uh, the world's first net zero financial center. That's smart. That's good business and obviously good for the planet.
3: But actually, we don't really know where this current government stands on making the City of London a priority. What will they do with regulation to attract some of, you know, maybe the lost revenue that they've had in the last two years?
2: Um, On this, I think that actually I'm waiting to see more what the actual... Banks do. So I think that a lot of the policy architecture has been put in place and we're now as we were talking about earlier with disclosure on climate risk. So we need to be seeing how some of these big financial institutions are starting to um, not necessarily divest by the way, but are starting to deal with with the with the riskier climate parts of their portfolio. So I think that um, I'm, I'm interested. and This is what we mean by implementation COP. Like I think it's one of the many facets where it's, 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 it's it is the phrase of the conference. Show show us the money, right? It, 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 you hear it a lot on a number of different levels. It's as we've discussed, developing countries needing the hundred billion. Then part of that hundred billion, more of it going to adaptation. Then on top of that some going to loss and damage, and so on. So there's that show us the money, but there's also show us the money in terms of in order to get to these magnitudes that we were talking about earlier, not the millions, not really the billions, but the trillions, we are going to be needing private investment to be leveraged in. And and this is what actually talks about with blended finance.
4: I would also say from a private sector financial transfer from private finance, the whole notion around ESG or environmental social governance is mostly a haze right now because there are people coming up with their own rules, their own metrics, own ways of trying to move the money in the right place. But because of lack of clarity, it's unclear if that money is actually moving. And so rules need to come in place. And that's where if the city of London is serious about becoming the green financial capital of the world or one of them, it needs to play alongside governments to figure out rules that will allow private finance to understand where that money needs to go very clearly.
2: It's, it's, I mean, the way I've been looking at it recently is I think that you and our listeners will have noticed that in the States, there have been banks that have wobbled on this commitment to, to dealing with climate risk. And in response, GFANS, uh, this is the Glasgow Financial Net Zero, Alliance for Net Zero. <laughs> Sorry, I'm tired. Um, they have had to pull their horns in. But equally, there's some evidence that European banks are really going for it and really dealing with climate risk. Um, and we could, you know, there's some that I'm thinking of in particular, but that they are really grasping it. So I, I think there is a debate. You're right, there is a debate about whether the city of London will, over the next five to ten years, keep that crown of being the green finance capital I mean, of the if world. you're talking
4: competition here...
2: Actually, City of
4: London has a good chance now. Well, we don't know what the midterms are going to do to the U.S., but we do know that Republican states are trying to question ESG, and that's causing these wobbles in American banks. But if City of London provides clarity, in the U.K., all political parties are clear on what they want to do on net zero. In America, it's a divided government. Uh, it's forcing their regulator, the SEC, to rethink whether the clear ESG rules that it had put out will come through because it's worried about lawsuits. The City of London doesn't have to worry about all that.
3: When you look at GFANS, and Mark Carney was saying that from 450 members in Glasgow, they went to 550, the question is, do you need very aggressive frameworks and regulation, but risk losing members just to hit that target, Or do you rather have a broad church with weaker targets? I think
2: he's gone for the latter, right? I mean, that's what there was. There was talk in September that race to zero, which is the UN kind of mirror to G fans was going to be penalizing of banks. Right. And, There were a couple of institutions that said, right, well, this is too tough for us, we're off. And I think for all of us, we were watching that debate and thinking, gosh, is this the beginning of a stampede away because of the different political and economic context? Is this, you know, this was too good to be true 12 months ago. Now this is the rubber, it's hitting the road and people that are going to leave. Actually, in the end, I think they stabilized it and they kept it to a few more banks, then went public with worries, but they were kept in the team. And so I think he's made the latter of your two choices. He's made that choice that he wants to keep it intact, to keep everybody trying to work this out together.
3: And that makes sense. I mean, if everybody works together, even with less aggressive targets, is it easier to then reach our goals in 5, 10, 15 years.
4: I think Carney and G fans in general probably are forced to do that because the rules around ESG aren't that clear. If governments were to provide more clarity, then private sector will follow suit. Um, right now, because so many of the commitments are voluntary commitments, where do you draw the boundaries are voluntarily decided. And if you don't like them, you can walk out of a group. If governments set regulations and clear rules, then they can't do it so easily.
2: You know, we, we see banks as, um, as, you know, all doing the same thing. But actually, a lot of banks are doing different things, right? NatWest and Lloyd's have a different portfolio with different carbon emissions from a Barclays or an HSBC with a different geographical footprint. So I can completely see why this is a really complex issue to try and corral
3: if you're Mark Carney. What's the one question that regulators now need to think of? So uh, as we try and hit the targets, do you have to get finance people behind you by just looking at the economics? Or does this have to be a a belief of people wanting to save the planet?
4: I think belief is uh, one that you could have pulled off before Paris. You could be like, yes, we should believe. But now we actually have legally binding targets in law They might be years out, decades out. Um, I think it's more about making sure that the rules will allow the private sector to go in that direction.
3: But economically, does it make sense? So if you invest in ESG, and I know there are so many questions about transparency, does it just make wise financial sense to invest in this space?
4: That's been the case from the very beginning. There's a clear hierarchy for how to think about money spent on climate action. Three steps. The first is to avert, which is to reduce emissions so that warming doesn't happen. The second step is to minimize. If warming is happening, adapt by building sea walls, by building cooling uh, spaces so that you can deal with heat waves. And the third step is, if you don't do either of those, there'll be loss and damage, and you're going to have to pay for it. And it gets more expensive every step. So the economic case has actually been there for all this time. It's just that that economic case is over decades, not over the quarter-by-quarter quarter, uh, reports that companies have to put up.
2: Yeah, I mean, and to end, You know, I mean, these are not small, easy subjects, but, I mean, increasingly, I think people
4: think you need a carbon price. So,
2: right, I'm sorry. Let's it's not... have it already. <laughs>
3: Where, where's the
2: carbon I think, price? Uh, this, uh, these are debates. Well, in, deb- the, <laughs> in,
4: in the UK and Europe, there is one, right? Uh, carbon trade is a carbon price. Uh, you know, the UK need was part. a global par-
3: number. Yes. What's that magic mo- number? Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
4: I think what political scientists have figured out is that trying to force people to accept carbon pricing is much harder than the plain economic case that if you have a carbon price, we'll automatically move to a cleaner world. The politics is hard, right? If you go to the gas pump and you're, you're paying really high prices for your petrol and diesel, then you are going to blame the carbon price not all the other macroeconomic factors that are causing that to happen.
3: For all the social media haters that keep on saying, this is a jolly, why are you all in Egypt and charm? First of all, the conditions are, are not the easiest uh, to deal with. I mean, we have some really pretty robust drivers of buggies getting us from A to B. I mean, it's like driving... <laughs> electric Lewis, buggies. Yeah, electric buggies, like um, Lewis Hamilton. I love
2: those buggies. They're so get, fun. <laughs> I mean, they scare me.
3: When, when I try and write an email and they go really fast to to the place you need to be. But actually, can we once and for all, maybe try and agree that that even if there's not going to be a big headline number, these are important because bringing people together at all levels, so heads of state, but also NGOs, could give us a better chance of, of hitting our targets.
4: Well, we had Lewis Pugh, who is the UN patron of oceans on the podcast on zero. And he said this thing, which, you know, clears up why COP meetings have to happen, he said, sometimes you just have to look people in the eyes to agree on a difficult thing.
3: You can have as many Zoom meetings as you want. And there is an important role for Zoom meetings and virtual meetings. But when it comes to these crucial things where you need to bridge the gap with diplomacy, you actually need to look the people straight in the
4: eyes. And COP meetings have made that possible year over year not enough and the progress has to happen a lot faster going forward. But that is why meeting in person is so important. Yes, it's attached with carbon footprint when you travel all this while, but it makes the work much, much easier uh, than if it was just virtual.
2: There's some really moving stories. I mean, some people came up to me yesterday from South Korea and they said it took us 20 hours to get here. You know, they really wanted to come and, they've, you know, and they had a lot of things they wanted to know how it was being done in the UK. Um, so for a lot of people, it, it matters hugely. Well, there's, there was
4: also, we had the president of Mozambique this morning who said, for the price that I've paid for my delegation to come here, we could have built three schools. But we do think the money we are spending to come here is worth it.
2: As Akshat says, that moment of jeopardy and the encounter and the kind of visceral whites of the eyes, you're really telling me that the decisions you take are going to raise sea level. You really think that's acceptable. That, that is politically powerful.
3: Thank you so much, Akshat and Allegra. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to this week's In the City. We'll be back next week. But in the meantime, if you like our show... We hope you do. Please head on over to the Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, rate, review and subscribe. This episode was hosted by me, Francine Lacquette. It was produced by Oscar Boyd and Samar Sadi. editing and sound design by Blake Maples. Special thanks to Allegra Stratton, Akshat Ratti, and be sure to check out Allegra's great newsletter, The Readout, on Bloomberg.com newsletters, or check out the show notes for a link, and Akshat's podcast, Zero. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you?